What's up, everybody? And welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast, podcast number 43. Sheesh. With here, as always, my man Gianni Harrell. What's up, what's up? So 43, we kind of go back and forth giving a jersey number for some of these episodes. 43, I definitely can't think of right off the bat. But I did notice the other night Evan Fournier, when I was at the net game, was wearing 94. Do you want to hear something crazy, Gianni? I'm sitting with Justin Tuck and my boy Al Palagonia. And I said, I wonder why, and Justin Tuck's incredible wife. And I said, I wonder why Evan Fournier is wearing number 94. And I said some funny shit. I'm not even going to repeat it. But then I looked it up. And before I could even Google Evan Fournier, Google already was saying, why does Evan Fournier wear number 94? It's insane, man. Every time Google blows my mind, they're reading my mind. They're reading all our minds. But whatever. It was helpful. I found out the answer. I think it was like 94 miles from somewhere. So it had meaning. I don't even remember it, bro, after all that. But Google it yourself. Evan Fournier wears number 94. And this is episode number 43. And with us today, Gianni, we got a legend. We sure do. It's wild, too. This is like, uh, this is a special one because we've never had a boxer on the show. Um, and we have an undefeated boxer who is trying her hand at MMA. Very, very special guest. I'm excited to get into this and learn about her life, learn about her upcoming fight, learn about just being in the Olympics at I think she was a high school junior at the time in 2012. So, man, just honored to have her on the show. She got a big fight coming up. We're going to get into that, get into a little bit about her uh, four-part series that's airing a week before her fight. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, undisputed female light middleweight champion, the only boxer in history, female or male, to hold all four major world titles in boxing simultaneously in two weight classes. Man, so many more accolades. We'll get into it all. So please welcome to the show, Miss Clarissa Shields. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you. So we, we are catching you probably in like the fourth quarter of training right now, I would assume. You have, um, you have a big fight on June 10th. As big a fight as I, I assume there's been in your life as you're transitioning into MMA. Tell me like two weeks before a fight of this caliber, what does like a day in your life look like right now? And where is your mind at and your focus level? Um, right now with the last two weeks of training for my first uh, MMA fight, my mind is just on, you know, staying focused on being focused and of course cutting weight and um, just making every day count. Right now we're exactly 17 days out from the fight. So every day counts, uh, you know, for me, I'm trying to be 1% greater every day because this isn't really my field. You know, this is MMA, and I know that boxing is a lot easier for me. So the fact that MMA has its challenges and I have, you know, a good opponent in front of me who's brown belt in jiu-jitsu, like, um, have to really, you know, train and uh, game plan for that. So you've been fighting since you were 11. You were in two Olympics. You're 11-0. and 0. I mean, you're the only boxer, male or female, to hold all four major world titles. But this is different, right? Like, this is different. So now you're fighting MMA. We've seen it with Conor McGregor from one side back into boxing. But I'm going to put that to the side because I felt exhibition-y. And, like, we always knew he was going to get beat. But in this case, like, 
you're the most dominant fighter pound for pound in the world and you're going to fight at MMA and you're only 11 and 0. Why did you want to do this? Meaning you're only 11 and 0 like it's not like you fought 50 fights and and you're off boxing. You're you know, you're just in the beginning in some ways of this dominant career. Why are you doing this and what just technically is different about the training? One, okay, so I decided to do MMA because I just really wanted to add, you know, add to what does the greatest woman of all time mean, right? And for me, it was like, I'm already the greatest woman of all time in boxing. And I was like, so how could I be the greatest woman of all time just overall as far as in MMA boxing? Like, how can I be recognized to where people stop comparing Amanda Nunez's hands to mine? Because it's incomparable. You know what I mean? It's just like, I have better hands than her, right? But that's who they were kind of trying to compare me to. And it just was like, no, she didn't win the Olympics twice for boxing. You know, she's great in MMA, but it was like in MMA to just get more recognition. And I just wanted to um, kind of get some of that recognition and, and, you know, join that and show that I have the mindset and I have the grit and I have the discipline to learn MMA and actually be good at it. What was the, what was the end of that question you asked me? No, well, I think you, well, I guess just what, from a technical standpoint, right, like, oh. that is different. Is there, is this fight some hybrid of boxing and MMA, or is it straight MMA right now? No, it's the, it's the MMA fight, strictly MMA. The only thing the PFL don't allow is elbow, so everything else is allowed. So, so, so I didn't have Brittany sign a paper to where it say, oh, you can't do takedowns, or, oh, you can't do kicks. Like, this is a full-blown MMA fight you know if it wasn't I wouldn't be down here training up in Albuquerque New Mexico since December so I've been here training since and I only took off uh, one month to get ready for my fight and my for my boxing fight that I had on pay-per-view but I will say that um the difference between boxing and MMA is like it's apples and oranges you know like it all has it all has the same outcome right like it's a fight but Boxing is just a simpler fight. It only consists of your left, your right hand, and, you know, some movement around a ring. When it comes to MMA, it's like an orange. Before you can eat an orange, you got to peel it. And then after you peel it, you got to break it down into all these different sections to eat it. I don't know. Who, I, I do. I'm like, I'm not a person who peels the orange and just bites it. I don't know if that's you guys or not, but that's not me. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying way. there's so many, there's so many different sections that come with MMA. You have boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, kickboxing. You got all these different arts in wrestling, and you have to figure out a way to put them all together to make it work best for you. And that's the biggest difference going from, okay, one minute we're fighting, okay, now we're sprawling to avoid a takedown. Okay, now we're back fighting. Now you're on your back. You have to get back off your back and get on top. And like your mind got to think so many different things. And sometimes it just don't click right away. Right? So like that's the biggest difference to me. And I, th- I believe I've read this. And you're, you're training jujitsu for this fight, right? I'm training everything for this fight. Jiu-jitsu, wrestling, uh, my, you know, adjusting my boxing um to make everything kind of flow together so i see you're training at the jackson wink mma academy so i assume that's where you're learning 
and getting the tricks of the trade that you learn boxing your whole life. I noticed something, and, and you know, I say this in every interview. It's our 43rd podcast Gianni and I have done, and we've talked to everyone from elite athletes like yourself to chair men and women of the biggest companies in the world, founders of companies. There's a certain like inside competitiveness and something in, in their own mind, a paranoia that's created to continue to like maximize their ability, continue to be as great as they possibly can. And, and so far mm -hmm. in 10 minutes of talking to you, I could see that, right? Like in asking you what your goals are in your training right now, you're talking about making sure every day you don't miss a minute, that you're maximizing a minute. And, I, and even though you're competing with your competition, that's a competition within yourself, right? And the idea yeah. that, that you're going over to MMA, you gave me these answers regarding what other people are saying about you and how her hands may be better. But realistically, that's because something inside of you is driving you right now to have to like prove a doubt or wrong. Or I'll give you another example. I listened to Kevin Durant's interview with J. Cole last week on his pod talking about you know, who are you mad at when you're rapping? Like, who are these people? And he said, look, some of it is real. Some of it is manufactured in my head a bit in order to get that aggression, you know, that I felt when I was coming up a bit. Do you think that as you prepare for a fight like this, that like the chip is as big as it is? Or are you are you got to get yourself to see what the storyline is here? Nah, I'm just a person that's always turned up and ready to fight. I don't know, you know, Brittany can say the nicest things about me and she can say she's a fan or she can be nice. It, it wouldn't matter to me. Like to me, when it when it comes to getting inside the ring or the cage, like I have a no name, no face policy. And it's like, I don't like I don't care who you are when we get in there. You can be my mom. You know, you can be my favorite sister, favorite niece. If we get in there and we putting on gloves and we got mouthpieces in. Nine times out of ten. I'm, I'm there to kick your ass and I don't really care who it is. So um, I just have this thing about loving the fight. Like I really wouldn't be doing MMA if, it, if, if I didn't like, yeah, I want to prove the doubt is wrong and all this stuff. But he's like, I don't care about them that much to change my whole life around. It's really something, like you said, in me that makes me feel like I have the discipline to train MMA. I have the youth for it. You know, I have the mind for it. I have. You know, I'm just a great athlete and I feel like I have the attitude to deal with the extra pain that comes with it. Like it's a lot, it's, it's very painful um, to train MMA. It's very painful. It's uh, so many different trainings a day and so hard on my body. And it's like, I still get up every day. Like it's another chance to be 1% greater. And I don't take no days off and I take my recovery very serious and my diet. And I just think that, um, it's not a lot of people born like me. So I feel like while I'm young and while I'm hungry and while I while I know that my biggest fear is to lose, I feel like I should just take advantage of that and kind of win, win everything possible. So when this body is old and it doesn't want to, you know, go through this pain no more and I don't want to be disciplined no more, I can say, well, okay, good. You did enough. You know, you did enough. So that's why I'm actually doing it maybe because it's something that, I want to do. So you you obviously have this like insane inner drive. You just got me fucking motivated right there because the idea <laughs> of just like while you're here, like why not be the best you can be at what you're wired in some ways to do in life. But there is a support that comes with it. And I, and I know your father was a big part of your support yeah. from a boxing standpoint as a kid. 
and it's not necessarily like you know i have two daughters right of the of the laundry list of things that i thought about when they were little girls that they may be into i didn't think maybe that they were going to be into boxing just to keep it real right like there aren't that many female boxers that are spoken about on the level that you are um what got you into this so like what was it as a kid that connected with you um and and what was it that your dad instilled in you that kind of like has carried on into this point in your life well just to rewind i was raised by my grandmother she raised me i had went through a lot growing up that um resulted in me living with my grandmother so i had four siblings but i'm and and i'm the second oldest but Growing up, I didn't grow up with them. I lived with my grandmother and spent a lot of time with my grandma from the time I was five years old to nine. I lived with her my ninth grade year of school, 10th grade year of school, and then she passed away. So um, from living with her, she instilled so much in me just to have that, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do it. Um, Having a no quit attitude. My granny had like a rule, like no crying, period. Like if I was to cry in the house because, you know, it was the holidays and all my family would come over and I would get to see my brothers and get to see my sisters, my mom. And then, you know, once the holidays over, everybody gets to go back home with my mom. But it was like I had to stay with my grandmother. So um, I used to cry over that and she would make me go and sit outside on the porch. So she was kind of like no weakness allowed. So that's kind of how I am now. Like I just don't even. If I cry over something, I kind of get mad at myself because I'm like, that's a weakness, you know? But when I met my dad when I was nine, I already was kind of tough already. Like I lived with my grandmother from the, from the age five to nine. I had went through some things when I was younger. And um, meeting my dad helped me understand myself. Like I always wondered, you know, why am I so uh, chippy? You know, like when people say things to me, I have a switch and it's like, I go from this sweet girl here and then I turn into like, you know, killer monster. And I was just kind of like, why am I like that? But when I met my dad, everything made sense. Like even to when I'm super excited and I laugh very, very loud. My dad does the same thing. And my dad's very chippy. My dad is um, he's he has a colder demeanor than me. So meeting him helped me understand myself more. And really, I didn't grow up fighting and Flint. I got into a couple of little fights when I was in school, but that's not what made me want to box. It was hearing my dad tell me that that's what he was passionate about. And if he would have never went to prison, that he felt he would have been boxing champ. So really, I started boxing because I wanted my dad to live some of his life through me. That's Man. what it was. I was doing it specifically for my dad. I didn't ever watch a boxing match. Um, I really didn't know much about boxing. And when I and when I heard my dad say that's what he was passionate about, I said, you know what, I'm gonna do that just to make my dad happy. I didn't know that boxing would be the love of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing though. Um, to think that, you know, everyone wants to like what you know when you get when you get a little bit older and you start to kind of understand your parents and understand like, oh, I'm from them, you know, and see yourself in them. But to understand that at 11 is a very mature thing and to not be mad at somebody that had been away right and your siblings are here you're with your grandmother and obviously flint michigan where you grew up Mm -hmm. 
means a lot to you. I heard you mention, I know you've, you dyed your hair blue before certain fights, right, to honor the water crisis back home. And there's been some incredible athletes, tough-ass athletes from Flint. Did your hometown instill some of that as well, like just that kind of that ready to flip a switch on the drop of a dime? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like um, being being from Flint, we have that no quit attitude. Like we have that, like no matter what the situation is, we're going to adapt and we're going to find a way to win. And I don't think that many uh, cities have that. Like Flint has been through so much, but if you was to go there, you wouldn't be able to tell that Flint right now is going through a water crisis. It's so many uh, legends. It's so many secret jewels that's in Flint. And one of my secret jewels was actually me, my boxing coach, Jason Crutchfield, who never treated me like a female athlete. You know, he always treated me like an athlete. So he used to say in the gym, he used to say in the gym when like guys were like wimp out and sparring or they would cry or something. He'd be like, you know, you acting like a girl. But when I started boxing, and you seen how dedicated and how driven I was and how me hearing, oh, you fighting like a girl, how it kind of offended me. He stopped saying it. And um, he basically just told me from the first day he met me, he said, if you want to train here, I'm going to train you just like the guys. You're going to do everything uh, everything that um, that they do. And he said, do you understand? And I was like, agreed. Because if I want to be better than them, I have to work 10 times harder than them. And that's at 11 years old. And he asked me, you know, why do you want to box? And I was like, I'm just tired of losing in basketball. Like, I hate team <laughs> sports. I hate it. Because it's like you got to rely on somebody else for your destiny. And you never know what this other person may be thinking in their mind. Some people want to win that day who are on the team. And some already have lost before we got there. And it's like, for me, I was like, we had lost the basketball game by one point because this girl who called herself not liking me didn't want to give me the last shot. So they passed to this girl that was popular and she took the shot and guess what? She missed. But coach told them, give Clarissa the ball. She didn't do it. So we lost the game. And from that point on, I was like, I never play basketball again. I'm never going to play for a team again. And that's when in boxing, it just felt like, I control my destiny. Like I like if I train hard, if I run hard, if I eat right, if if I sleep well, you know, I box well. And I yep. always knew in my mind, I'm always every day like I wanna win. I wanna yep. win. I wanna win. And I and I just think that um team sports didn't didn't have that. And that's something that Flint has for for me. Cause I've seen some of the strongest people go through some hard things and they never show it. So, you know, I feel like for me, when I, when I go through life things, it'd be like, who am I, you know, to show mm -hmm. any weakness or, you know, to make it seem like I'm the only one in life with problems. We all got problems. It's just about how you deal with them. Did you knock that girl out for not passing to you? No, nah, I didn't. I just know like the next year came basketball and I was in the 10th grade. I was already preparing for the Olympics. Like, I, I won the Olympics the 11th grade. I had to go back to school after I won the Olympics to finish 12th grade. So I already had had my <laughs> sights set on. Like, you know what? I'm getting, yeah. ready to, I'm getting ready to win the Olympics anyway. I'm not playing basketball next year. 
I got you. I just want to make sure, like, you didn't see her after the game and just be like, I'm not going to pass you that shit. I'm wide open in the corner. You're with Coach. <laughs> hey, I definitely talk trash, though. I've been doing that for years. I, I definitely talk trash. She actually had a sister, and I was like, I'll beat both of y'all up. <laughs> <laughs> So who was it like, uh, was it an athlete? Was it like Layla Ali when you, when you locked in that you held here? Was it uh, Serena? Was it, a, was it a male boxer? Was there someone that you held on this pedestal, like one of the first people you used as a role model, but also as motivation? Serena Williams. Yep. And honestly, it wasn't a uh, female boxing. The way it's in the light now is just the beginning, but even back then like people knew of Layla Ali and Chris and uh, what's her name Christy Martin but it wasn't many women who were known so when I started boxing my dad had mentioned Le 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 Layla Ali to me and saying that she was Muhammad Ali's daughter but um I never well when I looked her up I didn't want to box like her I felt like Maybe at 14, I was like, I'm already, I already boxed better than her. So she wasn't my role model. It was Serena Williams. When I, when I when I look at Serena Williams, like everything, you know, she was as far as like how dominant she was. She's dark skinned just like me. Um, you know, I can be kind of thick, you know, slim in the waist, big in the butt. So I'm like, okay, maybe we shaped the like, but I met her in person and um she's built way, way, way bigger than me. Um, she's shorter, but she's uh she's stockier, you know, and I'm like I'm actually kind of skinny, so I guess we don't favor in the body department. But um, <laughs> I know what you do, mean, though. Yeah, yeah, but but we do, you know, favor as far as like we got dark skin. You know, she's so aggressive on a, a, up on the course. She got endorsement deals, sponsorships, and just seemed like the like the ideal role model. And when I and when I first saw her, yeah, um, but that's who, that's what I wanted to be like. I would assume also, and I don't, I, I, this is probably harder for you to say openly, but I'll say it because fuck it. But like from where you came from and where your head was at, you're probably looking at Layla Ali in a way where it's like, with all due respect, I respect who you are, but that's different. Like you're coming from this and what I'm about is about as raw as could be. And I'm coming from a place where like I connected with my father on like a survival level and I had mm. to survive with this attitude. And Serena, in that same way, like connected with her father and found tennis. And we all watched that growing up and grew up, you know, in the similar fashion from an underserved community where she had to fight for herself. And I could imagine that with that level of greatness that you were aspiring to have, it wasn't about just being the best in female boxing. It was like you said, maximizing your time here and dominating what was in front of you. And Serena's done that and has transcended a game that wasn't as universally beloved, especially female tennis as it is now, like considered more entertaining than tennis. And Serena's called the best tennis player of all time, not the best female tennis player of all time. And that's a lot of what yeah. you were saying earlier in the conversation too. Um, and then the business side of what Serena's done in transcending the game and then allowing that to transcend off the court, I've started to see in what I've read about you and just seeing how you know how to position yourself, know how to manage yourself and your brand i saw how you were on breakfast club um you have it you know what i'm saying like you have it mm -hmm. is that something that you're focused on now or do you let that 
take care of itself as you just handle the sport in front of you. Because the balance can be a problem. It can be challenging. It can be draining. Mm -hmm. But it's also part of it. And if you want it, you have to put a focus on it at some point. Yeah, so I'm definitely big on building my own brand. Um, and I'm definitely big on telling my own story and how I'm portrayed. Um, at the beginning of my boxing career, I wasn't because it was like, for me, I just wanted to be looked at as a great boxer, right? But, you know, and I thought, you know, first of all, trash talking is totally um, natural for me. That's what I do. And that's what I enjoy doing. And I'll trash talk to anybody who trash talked to me. That's just how that is. But I found in women's boxing, after I really started paying attention on how I was being painted out, and that really did affect me getting endorsement deals and sponsorships. But that was my fault for not caring about it at the time. For the last two years, I've taken control of my brand and my social media on how I want to be looked at and um, showing who I, you know, showing who I am inside the ring. You already can see it, but also outside the ring, um, outside the ring. And I think that I was giving people in networks the power to write that story for me instead of being more. Um, Instead of being more demanding on like, this is what I want you guys to show. This is what I want you guys to do. And even some of the questions or some of the things like, I'm like famous for telling Christina Hammer, you know, um, if you take off that dress, I'll whoop your ass right now. Right. <laughs> and uh, it was definitely called for because of uh, of the disrespect. But that's like, that's not who I am. You know, if people really look at it, who who gets in the ring after somebody has just won their first world title and then talk shits to them? Like people don't if people had that champion mentality, like like they will understand where I was coming from. Like I trained hard, very, like very, very hard for this moment, right? And I just got a fifth round knockout. And here comes this girl who's been in boxing all these years, undefeated. And instead of getting in and saying congrats and um I look forward to facing you one day. She gets in the room and say congrats. I mean, she gets in the ring and say congrats, you know, but but I'll beat you both. And he just was like, we're on national TV. I just won my first world title. We're in Detroit. Hometown shit. An hour, an hour from Flint. It's like, uh, yeah, you don't want it. First of all, it's enough with the disrespect, but now you disrespect me in front of my people. And that there struck a nerve. So it's like, I like, like I couldn't be the role model at that time. I had to just be yeah, but the you know fighter, what? which, which I was in that moment. So I just, I just know that over the last two years that I have let it be known that yes, I am. Yes. I can be a ticking time bomb. Yes. Am I a ticking time bomb? No. Um, do I have things that I'm dealing with from when I was when I was younger and as I turn into my adulthood? Yes. Do I love fighting? Yes. Do I take problems head on and don't run from them? Yes. So I guess I love confrontation. I don't know. But <laughs> what I'm saying is what I'm saying is that I've accepted who I am and I'm working to be a better person. And I'm already I'm already a great person. But as far as in how people look at me. Some people are actually scared of me. I was being portrayed to where like, 
where like my fans were scared to walk up to me and ask for pictures. Like they were scared to, you know, say certain things to me or congratulate me because I was portrayed to be like this vicious ass female. And yes, I am. But inside the ring, outside the ring is just totally opposite. Yeah, and you have this famous, well, this quote, I was watching your Breakfast Club. You said, boxing is what I do, it's not who I am. And, that, and, and, and that's the truth. It Facts. is. And hold the, but you also said something super interesting earlier. You were like, some people come in, they already lost the game before they even start playing. So boxing, yeah. so mental as, as much as it is physical. Can you feel it when your opponents are intimidated by you? And do you play into that on match day? Um, when we do like face-offs, I have, I'm a, I'm a Pisces and that's something that I, that, that I don't like by myself because I can feel people. I can feel if they fake. I can feel if they real. I can feel if they lying and I can feel if they perpetrating. And I don't like feeling that sometimes because I wish it'd be like, dang, I thought this person was solid, but come to find out that they fake. So when I do the face-offs and I'm looking at girls in their eyes and, or, or I'm even listening to them speak. I can hear the doubt in them. And I know, like, oh, she didn't mean that. She just talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, she, no. she wants to believe that. <laughs> so I had this thing about reading people, and I read eyes, and I read just the vibes of people very well. It's kind of like a blessing and a curse because I don't want to know um, the vibe of everybody. But when I'm in a room full of people, everybody gravitates toward me, and I can just feel like, people intentions and that's why i don't have a lot of friends (laughs) (laughs) yo um do you think that like the idea of what you said before how like you know she came in the ring and she 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 popped shit and you said something back and it seems like you were hesitating a bit like well that's not the role model that i'm trying to be but i think that when young athletes start right they they do, and I saw it again, to use an analogy to KD, just because that's what I know best from being closest to, is that there was a point in his career earlier where like, you do feel that, right? You, you think you're supposed to say certain things, and if you say something that maybe got a little too much attention for the wrong reasons, you start to think that you compromised your business or you compromised. People tell you, like, yo, you can't say that, you can't do that. But what has happened with player empowerment and players advocating for themselves and and, and, and realizing how much of the power they control is that being human being and letting people in on who you are, bad day, good day, emotional day, reactive day, is what people actually love, right? And the brands that maybe don't want to work with you because of that aren't the brands that you're going to want to work with and be in business with for the rest of your career anyway. But mm-hmm. that being that authentic person is really what people are embracing now, you know? And I think that Part of that is probably why your fame has grown, because the fact that you say how you feel is something that people are refreshed by. And the fact that you fought odds to get to where you are, you're in a sport where, you know, you had to fight odds to get attention. You know, I think that you should never let go of that, like, emotional side. You know what I'm saying? Like, if she gets in the ring, like you said, the way I heard it, you did everything right. You know, like 10 out of 10 times, if someone comes into the ring after you're done fighting, when your heart's still racing and someone's like, I beat both of you, you know, they're trying to get their shine on and you're always going to handle it that way. And I think your fans and fans of sports appreciate when people don't, you know, necessarily just react the way they're supposed to. Well, I, I think that in that instance, if, if I would have just said, 
you know, you take that dress dress off, I'll whoop your ass right now. I think that if I just would have said that, it would have been perfect. So I did say that, but when she got in the ring again the next time, after I had just won another championship, I damn near tried to grab her, and I was going to whoop her ass right there because I already told Showtime and I had told my manager, I have zero tolerance left for this for this disrespectful fighter who I know I can beat. You know, and who keep disrespecting me online, disrespecting me in person. What you won't do is keep disrespecting me after victory. So what I think is that that moment there led to if if I would have handled the situation there, probably if I would have slapped her instead of staying saying, you know, I'll whoop your ass right now, you take that dress off. I think that the situation for me would have never escalated escalated like, like the way that it did because I really did try to grab her. And if I would have grabbed her, I, I definitely would have, I definitely would have punched her because I was just so, I held it in for so long. So that's after that situation. I just don't hold in things no more. And that's why everybody's like, you know, I just keep it real and I keep it honest because that works best for me. If I bottle in something, I'm like a, I'm like a water bottle. And you just, you just keep filling it up and filling it up. And then all, you know, the top pops open. So I like to keep my water bottle kind of halfway full and just leave it there and don't keep adding stuff to it because it just builds up a whole lot of pressure and a lot, and a lot of anger and i don't like dealing with that yeah so um and also i was gonna i was gonna speak on, i was gonna speak on something people love real being being real has never went out went went out of style people be fake all the time but when you be raw some people applaud you for that but then i like to say too being raw and being a female is also a blessing and a curse because people want you to be real, right? But then you have these people who are fake, who they call, oh, these are the ideal women who say, oh, no, women shouldn't talk like that. Women shouldn't do this and women shouldn't do that. But that's to make themselves feel better about things that has been said to them or make them feel better for holding things in or being able to put up with bullshit more than others. And it's like, if men don't have to deal with, if you guys all don't have to be the same, then why do us women all have to be the same to be this ideal woman? It's like, no, we're all different. Some of us talk trash. Some of us are quiet. Some of us are aggressive. Some of us are not. Some of us are well-spoken. Some of us do not know how to talk or don't know how to express ourselves. You know, it's, it, 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 it's so many different females. And... The fact that they want to put you in this box and tell you what a female is, is bullshit to me. And I never want to be a part of that box. Like, I put my headphones on, shout out to both headphones, and I block out everything. That's why people say things or, like, they do things, and it don't get back to me till, I don't know, months or years later because I'm so focused on what I think, on what I feel on what I want to let the world know. And I want all the young girls to know growing up that you don't got to be like me. You can be the total opposite and still be great. You you can be whatever kind of woman you want to be and you're still a woman. Like, stop trying to make people think that, oh, women don't wear their hair like this or women don't talk like that or women got to wear bikinis to weigh-ins or women got to wear granny panties to weigh in to be considered a real fighter it's so much bull crap that women got to deal with and it's like it's not fair and that's something i've been trying to break and let and letting all the women know 
do you, boo, whatever you want to do, whatever kind of woman you want to be, you going to be that woman because we're all different, just like the men. No man is the same. You got men who are more feminine than others, and you got men who are super strong and cocky with egos out of this world. Guess what? You got women the same way. Yep. Now that was that's some true words right there, and I think that um, I've heard a lot about that. I've heard a lot lately about not just the frustration, obviously, about opportunity that women haven't had. I mean, historically, and and I'm not even going to those depths to to uh, talk in in those terms, but in terms of sports, just the attention, the money that's been invested, um, the 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 stories that people have shown, and people's ability to. Um, you know, to be able to see female athletes as athletes, not as like the exception or the one that's broken through. Um, you know, Johnny, I think we we may have lost Clarissa there for a second, but I, even like Haley was saying last week, as it relates to just women's sports, like being able to um, being able to show on just women's sports, not just you know, the glamorized side of women's sports or like the beautiful side, like Clarissa was just saying, but like the gritty ass behind the scenes shit that we see with men's sports that we love. The training and the sweat and the rivalry and the shit talk and the battles that we love and that that is all part of it. And I think that's what she was saying. She, you know, also, and I don't even know if she's popping back on. I feel like we're on live radio now. I like this though. We're flipping it up, just keeping the convo going. I heard she shouted out Bose. I know she's got a big deal with Bose speakers. I mean, when I listen to her speak, G, it's pretty clear to me that like this is an exceptional athlete. We've spoken to enough of these people to understand the difference between someone that's just like really good at what they do in their field and their bracket and somebody that like has that superpower. You know what I'm saying? To yeah, to change to, to change the world a bit. Um I was funny when you asked about jujitsu and she was like, yeah, I do that with and listed off like seven other things she was training. With. <laughs> Man, um, the fight's June 10th, though, June 10th. And on June 3rd, there's a four part series on ESPN. Um, she's going right into MMA from boxing, which is pretty crazy. It's pretty, pretty amazing um, feat. Another stat I see here, she's the first to win the lineal championship in two weight classes. All boxing talk, man. I'm not even quite sure what that means, but it all sounds incredible. And won consecutive gold medals. 2012, she won when she was the youngest U.S. boxer ever. One career loss ever as an amateur. Um, pretty amazing stuff. And she also, uh, apparently she debuted on HBO, the last boxing card for HBO in, in 2018. That's when the world kind of saw her because that was a big deal because she only turned pro in 16. Um, I, I think wasn't she's got shocked. a movie coming out too about like her origins and then Brian Destiny is going to play her. Ooh, I wish we got into that. That's pretty crazy that we're having this combo without her now. But I like it. It's real time shit. All right, G, let's, let's talk about something else. Um, thank you, Clarissa. She's off training in MMA world now. That was that was like a boxer. She dipped in and out, in and out. She jumped in, she jumped out the ring. So basketball in New York this past weekend was was popping. Let's just go through a few of the highlights. Nets, Saturday night. I think there was 13,000 people in the arena. Our boy scored a calm 
32, 31? Yeah, 32. He didn't shoot great in the 32. first half, but took a bad spill. Bad spill, but it was nothing to him. But to me, it It's amazing. Like, like, Harden doesn't get aggressive until the third quarter. And then he's like, fuck, fuck it. Let's go. Let's go. And then Kyrie's aggressive the whole time. Kevin, you know, smooth jazz player. He can play any instrument. And then he's yeah. like, all right, I'm going to hit some shots too. And so it's like, it's amazing how obviously, you know, sports you have to certain level of talent you got to put all that skill in but all the mental it takes you know just to be halftime you're down a certain amount of points and then you're like all right i'm just going to turn it on yep well i think i mean listen I, I think james historically hasn't always been that way i think in this like transition right like they're they're the second best record in the east the preeminent favorites but the three of them have played x amount of games together the whole team is new so I think you're seeing like a new iteration of all of them in some ways, right? This is like Brooklyn Net James. This is Brooklyn Net Kyrie and KD. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, right, like James Harden is a point guard and people were confused on how him and Kai were going to fit when really it's fitting perfectly. And Kyrie is really, while can play the point, clearly did it for a championship team, is now running the two. And like you said, KD can play any instrument with any quartet, any band. He finds his groove. And even on a day where he doesn't shoot as well, you know, you look at the stat sheet and he's always in the game. And I'm just excited to be watching it again. It was popping in there. Got to sit next to my man, Justin Tuck. We spoke about him earlier. Let's not give him too many shout outs in one episode. Shit. Um, but then the Knicks last night, uh, tough loss with the garden was cracking, bro. Like, you know, the garden was ringing. This, that's what I call it, ringing. And then they had the organ playing, and that organ is special. Shout out Steve Stout, did a rollout for the Knicks, did some cool shit I saw um, with the organ and the defense chant. They had a loss, let Trey Young in the paint, 0.9 seconds left, put up another floater. Trey had a special game, but um, I saw that happening. I said to you, right after they scored with nine seconds left, like, come on, man. Trey's been in the paint like 15 straight possessions, so – Unless we find a way to keep him out the paint, you know, something's happening. He's going to have to miss a shot for this to go to overtime. But New York was cracking. My homegirl, Sabrina Ionescu, five rebounds short of another triple-double yesterday. I think they're three and one. New York basketball is just popping. The city feels good right now. Um, it's still a weird time in the world, but the, the trajectory is pointing upwards, man. Um, I also think, right, I also think, want to hear a little projection here? Projection? Prediction for a projection? G, you there? I'm ready for it. Subway Series. Mets-Yankees this year. Mets-Yankees? Yep. Mets-Yankees World Series. I'm saying it right now. It's amazing that I didn't even know that was possible in baseball. Well, that's... Yeah, that's scary. I mean, it already happened once, actually, in 2000, the Subway Series. But that's all right. I mean, it hasn't happened where the Mets and Yankees have played in the World Series ever again since then. So, And you're not a big baseball guy, so it wouldn't have come to your attention. But it is something that can happen, and I think it will happen this year. I'm making some wild-ass predictions. It just feels right, New York. While the whole country and the whole world was clearly fucked up by what's gone on the last year, and there's a lot to reconcile, New York embodied like the early struggle of the whole pandemic and we saw it firsthand being here so i just see it happening i do i see yankees mets world series shout out steve cohen and the new york mets my favorite team um 
Man, that's that was my shout out. Anything from you, bro? What do you feel? You watched Drake's um you watched Drake's uh, acceptance speech last night? Nah, man. I what did I do last night? I don't even know what I did. I didn't do anything last night. I was going to catch up on all the headlines today. Got it. Well, but I did see I did see the clip of uh Future bringing him out and then his son, adorable. I saw the acceptance speech. Yeah. The outfit, the outfit fantastic. Yeah, I think the whole thing was just an acceptance speech, by the way. Got it. There was there was no like decade performance? Not a performance. There was a video that was pretty dope. LeBron did the VO for the video and um Future, as you said, Drake's manager gave the um gave the introduction with his friends and family in the background and he came out with his son. It's really incredible though. Like Drake has just had such an insane run. Um and he's still like very much smack in his prime. So I thought that was cool. It just feels like it's a live time right now, you know, playoffs. I feel really good about baseball, too. I was talking earlier today. I was going to name drop in this episode. Fuck it. I was talking to uh, Jimmy Pitaro, head of ESPN, earlier just about how I feel this buzz around baseball a bit. Um, obviously, Otani. Do you know who Otani is? Nah. Uh, whatever. Uh, Fernando Tatis. Bunch of young, dope baseball players. Um my prediction for Mets Yankees, but KD's been playing uh, MLB heavy, and I see the gaming community. I'm he- I'm just like feeling it from the outside. I see the buzz around baseball a bit. Mark my words. Another prediction, G. Another prediction. Baseball in general, stock pointing upwards. Trading cards clearly have opened up a different conversation around that. Um, so I'm expecting to do a lot of things with boardroom and baseball moving forward. So stay tuned for that. We also got another special announcement for boardroom coming up in the next week, which I think people in New York especially will be really excited about. But um, yeah, so today's guest was special. Clarissa Shields, again, she's fighting on June 10th. She's going for her first MMA uh, match after dominating the boxing world. She's 11-0. Um, again, holds all the lineal championships in both weight classes. She's been training at a famous MMA academy. So let's see what pops off on June 10th. And then on June 4th, ESPN, four-part series on her focusing and getting ready for the fight. She shouted out Bose. So I'm going to shout out Bose, her sponsor, because, you know, here's a young woman who's dominating boxing and is setting up a business around her. Like you said, she has a film being written about her, a subject of a documentary I saw, T-Rex, her fight for gold. And then, like you said, a screen, a screenplay that's being written and directed right now by two very established people in the industry, Barry Jenkins and Rachel Morrison, called Flint Strong. So that should be pretty special. And, um, and her fight. So good luck to you, Clarissa. For we're, sure, we're going to be tapped in. We're going to be tapped in. We didn't get to say goodbye. A lot of a lot of closure needed on our convo, but subscribe to the boardroom out of office. Subscribe to our pod. This was episode number forty three. Subscribe to the etceteras. Go to boardroom.tv. Tune into the Nets, Knicks, Liberty, but mostly Nets and my man KD for this season. And peace and love to you all. We out. See you next week. Next week, boardroom out of office. <laughs>